Shalom Aleichem, everybody. Thank you for coming out on this cold evening. Very much appreciated. A big shout-out once again to our friend Ari and his son Dovi Hartman for taking care of the food. You should be gebench. We really appreciate that as well. Thank you for anybody listening on the podcast. Of course, as always, I want to welcome my father who's here. And all our chaverim couldn't do it without you. The Shul Baruch Hashem is now in the midst of a campaign to raise very needed funds to uh, keep the Shul going. I was thinking, in this week's parsha we read about the Kamas HaMishkan, and as we, Mr. Shem will be speaking soon, the Mishkan has a reference, of course, to not just the Mishkan and the Beis HaMikdash, but also Chazal tell us that even after the Chorban Abayis, we still have the Mikdash Ma'at, we still have the shuls that are many Batei Mikdash, and this shul is no exception. The Bosak tells us in the Parsha about the Arayin and the Kruvim that were on top of the Arayin, the Pasuk says that the Kruvim are supposed to be designed in a very unique shape. They're spreading their wings upwards. They're hovering and covering the Kapoiris. So I saw this, I don't remember from who. That the Torah is telling us how a person is supposed to go about as Avoida Sashem because we know that the Arain symbolizes the Beis Amigdash, the Kaidash HaKadoshim, the essence of Kedusha, and says the Torah, here's how it works. On the one hand, a person should always strive to go higher. But on the other hand, don't forget, as you're on that trajectory towards greatness, towards elevating yourself, don't forget about your brothers. You should always look at them. Of course you should grow, of course you should steig. But at the same time, you do it in tandem with looking out for one another, being there for your friends, being there for your family. And that is how a Yid Taka grows. And I was thinking, there's no better place that models this Indian then our shul right here, our friend Mo, Mo Silber, the treasurer, the Gabai, I don't know what title he has here, director of special projects. So Mo, he's, um, he's always wearing interesting clothing. For example, if you come here on Shabbos, you'll see he likes to wear black shoes, but on the bottom they have like a pink, a pink uh, stripe going across the parameter of the shoe all kinds of other interesting uh, funky clothing and I once asked him what's this all about so he said like this he said if a person walks in here and he sees me I mean speaking about himself with my funky clothing so no matter what he's wearing he's going to feel comfortable because it's not going to be any worse than what I'm doing so that's the attitude of our very own Moishi Silber and that's the attitude of the entire shul whether it's Chaim <coughs> over here or Ari or everybody else this shul is a welcoming place of Pnei Mishalochim, and at the same time, it's also a place of Seichachim Bechanfeim Lamala, reaching upwards through the unique type of davening that we hear, and through the special camaraderie that exists in this place, Baruch Hashem, a place 
where a person can grow in his Avodah Hashem all at the same time of connecting with one another. Sataka, anybody that's listening, if you haven't yet donated, certainly a very worthy cause of this Mikdash Ma'at. And Taka, we should, with the schus of supporting the Torah, maybe we should wrench everybody with Parnasa Beravach and everything that they need. Amen. So, the Pasuk tells us also at the beginning of the Parsha, Vasuli Mikdash Veshachanti Besaychem, we're all familiar with the famous Memra. Not clear who said it, but Veshachanti Besaychem, it doesn't say Besaychem. It says, it doesn't say Besaychai Besaychem, and as we know, Besaychalechad Veechad. But we have to understand before even discussing what that means, Besaychalechad Veechad, what exactly does it mean? That the Eibishter says, V'shachanti b'soychem. I'm going to dwell among you. We know from Shalom Yeshua, we know from Uncle Maishi, Hashem is here. Hashem is there. Hashem is truly everywhere. So Hashem is everywhere. Right, you know the song? Yeah? <laughs> right. So, if Hashem is everywhere, what does that mean? That He's going to be Masha his Shekhinah in the base of Mikdash in the Mishkan. What, he's, he's everywhere. He's already here. So what is the uniqueness of the Mishkan? We have to understand. So what does it mean? And interestingly enough, you know, when we talk about the Mishkan, the Ramban writes that really, you know, we'll be reading about the Hakamas Mishkan and the building of it and the Kalim for the next five parshias. Really, this is going to be the remainder of Chumash Mice is all going to be about the Mishkan, with the exception of a few prokim discussing uh, the Chet Egel. Why does the Torah give it so much space? And why is it in, th- in the same Sefer as Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim? And the Ramban explains that Klai Yisrael came out of Mitzrayim, but up until there was a Mishkan, so the Gula wasn't completed. Because even though we came out of the physical Golas of Paroi, but we still weren't at the ideal state of becoming Hashem's nation. And that only happened after the Mish- Mikdash was built, the Mishkan was built. And then, the Rebbeinu Shalayim dwelled amongst us, and that was the whole purpose of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. And so, Mimela, the Torah, after discussing the stories of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, tells us the next step. In the process of the Geula, the Mishkan had to be built as well. And the Ramban explains that by Harsinai, there was the great revelation of the Shekhinah. And that same revelation continued in the Mishkan every single day. That the Eibishter's Shekhinah was over there in the Mishkan, and that was, so to speak, a continuation of the Maimad Harsinai. And it's only then, at that point, that Klal Yisrael was able to say, yes, we were redeemed. Not just physically, we were redeemed spiritually. And that's why Chumash Shemais continues with all the parashiyas discussing the Akamasa Mishkan. But what exactly does it mean, Ashur HaShachina? So the Sefer HaKuzri, the famous Sefer from Yabuda Alevi, explains, yes, Hashem is everywhere. But Hashem created the world for a purpose. Before the world was created, Hashem was Hashem. He still existed. And He was there in the Shemayim or wherever it was, but He wanted to create a world, a physical world, in which he can, so to speak, descend, bring his presence, and dwell there. And he does it out of his kindness, 
because he wants to give. So he decided, okay, I'm going to create the world, and I'm going to, so to speak, remove myself from the upper spheres and bring myself down to this physical world, this world of Gashmias, and here I am going to shower the world with my kindness, with my glory. And the Swarm explained, it's like a powerhouse. Imagine you have, you know, we have electricity running through our houses, Baruch Hashem, running through the streets. Where does it all come from? There's a plant that's creating electricity, and that supplies the power to the entire city. Says the Rebbeinah Shalaylam, I am the source of the power. I'm the powerhouse. And I am going to bring my power, so to speak, down into this world. And you know where it's going to emerge from? You know where it's going to come from? That powerhouse is going to be the Beis HaMikdash, the Mishkan. It's going to give bracha and hatzlacha and success to the entire world. So, so to speak, when the Rebbeinah Shalom says, what he's telling us is, this is the purpose of the world. That I should dwell here amongst you, and all my kindness, and all my glory, and all my power is going to be given out through this place, this Mishkan, this Beis HaMikdash. So when the Beis HaMikdash is existing, is erect, the Mishkan, the Beis HaMikdash, then that, so to speak, is the epic situation of the world. That Hashem is living in the world, dwelling in the world, as He had wanted it to be. I'm showering the entire world with my bracha. And as we read about in the Parshish of the Torah, during the period that Kal Yisrael was in the Midbar, those 40 years, so they, so to speak, literally lived with Hashem. Every step that a person took was literally with the direct guidance of the Rebbeinah Shalom. Someone spoke Lashon Hara, for example, immediately he's covered with Tsaras. And the tremendous Nisim that happened to Kal Yisrael, the Mon that came down, that is really the manifestation of what the Rebbeinah Shalom wants, how he wants the world to run. You see me in everything that you do. And later on, Kal Yisrael came into Eretz Yisrael, there were lower periods, but when the first place of English was built, during the time of Shleim HaMelech, so Chazal tell us, Asara Nisim Nasulav Yisenu, the Beis HaMikdash, there were ten Nisim, constant Nisim that happened, the entire time that there was a first Beis HaMikdash, I don't remember all of them, but some of them were open miracles that a per- person would see. For example, there was a fire on the Mizbeach, and it was a constant fire. Now the Mizbeach was, Mizbeach HaChitzen was out there in the yard. It was in the open. Nonetheless, whenever it rained, the fire still remained. It never went out. The Ketairis, the Mizbeach HaKetairis, was built, was designed in a special way that there was a direct, a direct column of smoke that went up. No matter how hard and how harsh the winds were, that column never moved. We know from... Uh, Yom Kippur, it says, and other Yom Tavim, even though it was crowded, there wasn't room to stand, but when they would bow down, there was room for everybody. And on and on, ten Nisim. So the Beis HaMikdash really was the place that the Rebbeinah Shalom says, here, I'm here for you. I'm here, and when I'm here, then you have everything. So Asar Nisim Nasulav Yisenu. And that was the idea of Vasul Yimikdash Veshachanti B'Saycham. And even though, sadly, we no longer have the Beis HaMikdash, we no longer have the Mishkan, but as we said, Baruch Hashem, we do have some hints, some remozim, some places and ideas and possibilities to still connect in a certain way, in a certain way, to that concept of Asul Yimiglish Veshachanti B'Saycham. As we mentioned, 
The Bote Mikdash, the Mikdash Me'at, the shuls that we have, those, so to speak, are also a place where the Abish dwells its Shechina, not as great as it was in the time of the Beis HaMikdash, but great nonetheless. And it's a reminder for us to appreciate the shuls that we're in. A beautiful story that came out, you know, Chazal tell us that when a person davens, you should always be mechaven your lev, keneget kodesh hakadoshim. You're not sure which direction to turn. Think about the kodesh hakadoshim. Your heart should aim itself towards the base hamikdash, because when a person davens, he's connecting directly to the rebbeinu shalolam and to that source of kedusha. Certainly, when we daven in shul, in the mikdash me'at, we're certainly connecting to the rebbeinu shalolam directly. Beautiful story came out. Soldier in Israel. His name is Malkiel ben Yosef. A from soldier, a, a, not just from, but a ben Taira. He has beard, he has payas. And he's telling his story on the Israeli television. This took about place maybe about a month ago or so. He's in Gaza fighting. And he said there was a little lull in the fighting. And being that it was almost Shkia time. Like what? Like a lull, like a little break. It's almost Shkia time. So he says, let me dive in Mincha. So his, uh, his platoon... His comrades, they're, they're in a certain area. He walks away from them and he tries to be mechavet himself towards Yerushalayim. And he starts davening. Starts davening mencha. All of a sudden he sees, like, in the not so far distance, in the shadows, he sees what he thinks to be some movement, what looks like a metal object. And, he, you know, he's telling himself while well, he's davening, you know, it's probably my imagination, but he keeps his eyes open. And before he knows it, he sees the metal door open, metal trap door, and out comes a terrorist. And the terrorist is carrying an RPG, an RPG uh, uh, gun or whatever it is, rocket propeller. He's in the middle of davening. The terrorist starts walking towards the soldiers. Now the soldiers can't see him because he's coming from behind. But the terrorist can't see this fellow Malkiel because he's standing in a different angle, aiming towards Yerushalayim. He gives a shout, the terrorist turns around, and he fires at the terrorist, and he kills him. At the same time, his comrades hear him shouting, they also fire. The guy is dead, but we see really the power of what davening can do, because he decided to take a break, and daven towards the Rebbeinah Shalom, and mechavet himself towards Yerushalayim. The Rebbeinah Shalom saved him, and his uh, entire platoon, who knows what a devastation it could have been. You know, when you fire a grenade towards a whole group of soldiers in the open without them being aware of it. The Baruch Hashem, was saved, and that's a reminder to all of us, our tefillahs, they certainly carry power, and we should appreciate the shuls that we're in, and make sure that our davening is appropriate, as is befitting, a makayim of a mikdash ma'at. That's one aspect. Then we have another aspect. We know Chazal tell us, ish v'isha zachu, shechina that a person can also bring the Shekhinah into his own home. Into his own home. Now, how are you Zeichah to bring the Shekhinah into your own home? So the Chavetz Chaim points out, we know the base of English was destroyed because of Sinas Shekhinah. So, if we do the opposite of that, so we're building the base of English. If there's Shalom and Ava, then we're building the base of English. So if the, the Jewish home is like also a Migdash Ma'at, so to speak, then when there's love and harmony and Shalom in the house... You're building the, your own base amigdash, and through that you're going to be zeicha to Ashras Hashchina. Now, what does it mean to live b'shalom? Of course, everybody knows 
their own situation and what they have to do. But, you know, one thing I was thinking is, you know, it means also not to be rigid, not to be rigid around the house, not to stand on ceremony. And, you know, it's always good to be flexible and to let things fly, even though it's not exactly as we had envisioned it to be. You know, we're not satisfied, we're not happy with how our house looks. Shalom to the rub. But for the sake of shalom, for the sake of peace, it's always kidai to be mevater. It's a story. A lady's writing in one of the magazines. She said her husband was a stickler. He always wanted the house to be perfectly neat, perfectly clean. When he comes home from work, he wants to be served a hot supper. And he doesn't want the kids to be running around. And he would always tell his wife, you know, this is how I was raised. When the father comes home, the father's like a king. The father comes home from work. The wife should be serving him and the kids should be, the kids should be sleeping. Now, it's a very nice uh, wishful thinking, but it's not very practical. And his wife would tell me, you know, it's not, you know, our kids are labor kids and they want to spend time with you. They want to stay up. I can't always get them in bed at the time that I'm your home. What do you want from me? And he would insist, no, this is how it should be. And she describes how rigid her husband was. And, you know, and sometimes it worked. The kids would be in bed. Most times it wouldn't. And the husband would make sure, you know, he, so to speak, he made his peace with it. But he wasn't happy about it. And she says another thing that her husband was very, very strict about was, he once mentioned to her, you know, if Khalil, we ever have a child who has special needs, we're going to give him away to institution. And she says, what? How could he do such a thing? He says, yeah, it ruins the house to have such a child. It's all coming from the place of rigidness of not being able to be flexible. The lady is saying she's expecting, and she goes to the doctor in the middle of the pregnancy, and the doctor says, you know, I see something that's concerning. There's a possibility that this kid is going to have Down syndrome. And now this lady's in a bind. Obviously, it's devastating news, but she doesn't know what to do, because if she tells her husband, obviously he's going to plot and insist that they put the kid in an institution. So she decided... You know, being that it's not certain anyway, the doctor says it's a possibility, but not 100%. She's not telling her husband the entire pregnancy. You can imagine, you know, how those last few months, how nervous she was. And she said every morning she would soak her to him in tears. Comes the day of the labor, they go to the hospital. Immediately after the delivery, they whisk the baby away. And then the doctors come back. You know, they do some testing and they say, you know, we're sorry to tell you that the baby doesn't have Down syndrome, she has something much worse. Whoa. It's called trisomy 18. Some sort of a genetic condition which it's not compatible with life. In other <coughs> words, the baby's going to die. Mm-hmm. They put the baby in the NICU, and she lived two weeks, and then she died. Now this lady is looking back, and she's saying, you know, on the one hand, obviously, it's, it's, you know, it's tragic, it's devastating. But on the other hand... The fact that the baby died saved her marriage. Because if, you know, it would have been a Down syndrome child and he would have been healthy and he would have lived, then there would have been a dilemma. The husband would have insisted, we can't keep it in the house. And the wife would have wanted it in the house. She said it would have probably ruined her marriage. Now, I'm saying this story because, you know, it just shows you how the consequences of living, being so rigid in the house, what it could mean. You know, that a woman doesn't tell her husband the situation of the baby, or his own baby, because she's scared what he's going to say. So, you know, Baruch Hashem, you know, we're all flexible people, we're all good people. <laughs> but in our own little way, it's always good to look the other way. Don't stand on ceremony. And that is certainly what brings Shalom to the house. 
And what brings the Rebbeinah Shalaylam Nachas Ruach. And the more we do it, the more we're going to be Zaycha, that our home, as we said, the home, the Beis HaMikdash, which is a place where the Rebbeinah Shalaylam's bracha directly is there, so too our home will be a place filled with the Rebbeinah Shalaylam's bracha. Because if you have the Ashras Ashkina in your home, you have that powerhouse there. Certainly you're going to have the Rebbeinah Shalaylam's bracha. But it's only going to happen if we put in the effort, as we said, to try and practice Avas Chinam, to try and practice Shalom, to look the other way, and you never ever lose. As Chazal tells us, In our own home, you know, where we're building Beis Hashem, future generations with our children, we can bring the Shechina into it, and be Zeichet to the Rebbeinah Shalom's Brocha, as long as we're willing to do our part, whatever it takes. Not, it's not easy, and it's not something that comes naturally, but in our own little way, we can always put in a little bit of effort, and then the Rebbeinah Shalom is certainly going to reward us with all the brachas. And finally, as we mentioned at the beginning, was brought down, now who is the source of this? The only known source is the al Shah HaKadosh, that he says it. But whatever the source is, it's certainly something that's quoted all over. That every single person, every single yid could merit that the Rebbeinah Shalom is going to dwell inside of him. Now, what is, exactly does that mean? Not something that I fully understand or comprehend. But Rebchaim Velazhener explains that the human body is like the Beis HaMikdash. And every single component of the body corresponds also to a different part. And the mind, the person's mind, corresponds to the Kodesh HaKadoshim. And therefore he says that just like the Kayan Gadol and Yom Kippur, when he enters the Kodesh HaKadoshim, so he's going in there with the most loftiest thoughts and with the highest level of Kedusha because he knows what's at stake, the future of Kali Yisrael. So to, so to speak, every single day, every single person in his own mind, he is going into the Kodesh HaKadoshim because that's where the Eibishter, so to speak, dwells. In a person. We're in our minds. And therefore, he says, a person should try and make every effort possible to keep his mind pure. And Kaddish, because that is the Kaddish HaKadoshim. And when you do that, you're building your own personal Kaddish HaKadoshim and the Rebbeinu Shalem could dwell inside of you. And Khalila, the opposite, when a person defiles his mind, that is like defiling the Kaddish HaKadoshim itself, which we can understand how terrible such a thing is. And, you know, again, these are lofty concepts, but if we can at least uh, think about it a little bit and appreciate it, then certainly that's going to give our days an infusion of Kedusha by understanding that, you know, the thoughts that we think and the images that we look at, they have an impact. They have an impact. Do we want the Rebbeinah Shalem to dwell inside of us? Of course we do. So we have to put in a little bit of that effort. And if it means not looking where we shouldn't look, not going where we shouldn't go, not thinking what we shouldn't think, then that's what we should do because it's worth it to be zaycha, to have the Rebbeinah Shalom dwell inside of us. And as we said, have that powerhouse in us. And certainly when we do that, we're going to be zaycha to his bracha because as we said, you have the powerhouse with you, then there really is no limit to what you can accomplish, whether it's Gashmias, whether it's Ruchnias. Famous story, we mentioned this once in the past. At the first Knesset Gedoyla, in 19, uh, <clears throat> it was 23. So, 
they did it in the Great Hall of Vienna, a big music hall that's still around, by the way. And the men were in the main sanctuary, the main hall, and the ladies were in the balcony. And a question came up, you know, the ladies are on the second floor. Is that enough of a separation? Or should we also put up a physical mechitza so that they shouldn't be seen? On the one hand, you know, it's certainly, as far as davening is concerned, 100% halachically kosher. If you're not on the same level, that's considered a separate entity, and therefore there's no problem davening. On the other hand, you know, there's certainly extra maila to being completely separate. And being that Aguda is comprised of different kehilas, uh, different organizations, so each one was saying, you know, pitching their own point of view, the, the, the more modern Jews, the Germans and Western Europe, they were saying, you know, what's, what's, the, what's the big deal? They're up there in the balcony, that's good enough. And the more stark ones, the Hungarians, the Polish ones, they were like, no, we want to go the extra mile. So they went to the Heilig of Chavetz Chaim, and they asked him his opinion. And says the Chavetz Chaim, you know, it says in the Pasuk like this, and before he quote the Pasuk, he said, what's the worst thing that could happen to Kal Yisrael? And what's the best thing that could happen? The worst thing is that the Rebbeinah Shalom won't be with us. The best thing is that the Rebbeinah Shalom will be with us. Says the Pasuk, Anytime there's any sort of inappropriate intermingling, that's an Ervas Dover. And then the Rebbeinah Shalom says, I'm going to remove myself from you. So that's the worst thing that could happen to Klai Yisrael. So says the Helech HaChavetz Chaim, if we can do something a little bit extra, that's going to merit even more Ashra Sashchina. So certainly we should go the extra mile. Because we're going to get more of the Baruch of the Rebbein HaShalelem. So we see this idea, that, you know, if we're able to practice, even to a little, a little bit, a little bit of adding Kedusha to our life and to our minds, we are going to merit the Ashra Sashchina. Which is what we all want. And then we're going to be Zaycha, certainly, to the Rebbeinah Shalalim's bracha. So, let's talk uh, during these days, during these parshiyas of Ashur Zashchina, try our best to connect the Mikdash Ma'at, the shuls that we're in, connect and build up our homes, and connect to ourselves and build up the Mikdash Ma'at that's inside our mind, as we said. just want to conclude with one more beautiful thought, also from the Helech HaChavetz Chaim. We read about later on in the parsha that by the Menaira, it says, Miksha Teyoseha Menaira. The Menaira should be made, should be done as one whole. Although it's not coming together with a bunch of golden parts coming together, no. It's done with one, one big hole. And Chazal asks, why does it say it should be done? Why doesn't it say, like it says by all the other Kalim, Tase, you should do it. So Rashi brings down from Chazal, Niskasha Maisha Menaira. Maisha Rabbeinu had a very difficult time creating the Menaira. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to make a fire, throw it into the fire, and it happened by itself. Okay. So Fek the Chavetz Chaim, of all the Kalim, why the Menorah wasn't so difficult for Maishu Rabbeinu to create? What was so unique about it that he couldn't figure it out on his own? And he explains like this. The Menorah is a symbol to the light that's going to shine for Klal Yisrael through all generations. The Ner Tamid it, so to speak, lights up the path of Klal Yisrael. So Meishu Rabbeinu, he's looking in Ruch HaKadosh, and he sees the history of Klal Yisrael. It's going to be so difficult, and such a long and bitter gullus, and so much pain, and so much bloodshed. He says, how How can I light up the path, this difficult path, that's going to be filled with so much tragedy, so much sorrows? 
How can I light it up? How can I build something that's going to light it up if this is how it's going to look? Says the Rebbeinu Shalom, no. You don't have to light it up. You know why? All you got to do is throw it into the fire. And then I, I myself, I'm going to light up that path. I'm going to create the Menorah. So, so to speak, the Rebbeinu Shalom says, yes, there's going to be a fire. But from that fire is going to emerge the light, the light, the light of the Geula, that's going to take us out of the Gullahs and bring us back to Yerushalayim. We should be Zoycha too. Vasuli Migdash, Vashachanti Besoycham, with the real base on Migdash. Amen. Amen.